Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Blog Talk Radio, Three Women, Three Ways. And we are the show that talks about uh, women's issues particularly, but sometimes men's issues as well, and sometimes just general issues. And we do it from the perspective of uh, women and who experience violence and violence against women, and uh, we look at things that other shows don't necessarily look at. And my name is Heather Stark. I'm your host, and I've been doing this for almost two years now, so it seems like it's uh, very quickly gone a time. And uh, today, you know, I, I think I've explained to people before that I'm working on my dissertation for my PhD, and my dissertation is on uh, how domestic violence affects the workplace. And in doing my studies and my research, I ran across a study written by Helen Levan. And Helen is joining us today to talk about domestic violence and the workplace. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here also. Um, You want to tell us a little bit about your background and and how you came to... to... Yeah. I have been a researcher in employment discrimination for many years, and um, we did a study on bullying in the workplace and came to the perspective that a fair number of people who are bullied in the workplace are victims of domestic violence, and it's a spillover of uh, domestic violence into the workplace that we're currently researching now. I do have a publication already with several uh, of my co-authors on the impact of domestic violence in the workplace, and it's in a journal called Employment Relations Today. And it came out uh, last year, actually in 2012, and it is pretty readily available if anyone would be interested in getting a copy, they could email me directly. Okay. I'm a faculty um, member at uh, DePaul University in Chicago. Okay. And since you mentioned your email, you want to give that out? Sure. H L A V is in Victor A N at DePaul. D-E-P-A-U-L dot E-D-U. And uh, we're in Chicago where it's snowing a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. As I told you off the air, I used to live back east or in the Midwest, I guess. And, uh, oh, the snow. (laughs) Oh, the snow. Right along Lake Erie, we would have the, um, what they call the lake effect where you get the tremendous mm-hmm. wind like you get in Chicago. And, oh, so I can empathize. I can empathize. Well, Helen, um, as, as I mentioned, that uh, particular study that you talked about is how I uh, came to uh, decide to get to know you because um, the study, I think, is very comprehensive. Now, we're talking about domestic violence and the impact on the workplace. Usually when people uh, uh, do research in that area, it's more of an immediate uh, impact 
Um, can you explain some of those impacts that affect uh, the workplace? I mean, if I'm being abused and I'm perhaps trying to leave an abuser, what does the workplace have to do with that? Well, probably the most important thing has to do with the fact that the abuser knows where you are uh, for approximately 8 to 10 hours a day, every day. And so um, they know where to find you, so to speak. And uh, then it becomes a human resource management issue, how to take actions to protect the victim, but also to take action to protect, uh, to protect coworkers. There are many innocent bystanders that have been injured or even killed as a result of the spillover of domestic violence. Um, but the other so, part is so, this. Yeah. Oh, so the coworkers at uh, a place of employment could be in danger. Yes, they could. Huh. Um, and I, my understanding is, is that it doesn't happen frequently, but it happens frequently enough that the abuser comes to the workplace that people need to be concerned about it and make precautions. Am I correct? Yes. And in fact, uh, some of the writings about this have been in uh, security management um, magazines alerting um, corporate human resources to be cognizant of that. Um, there's another aspect of this also. Um, in, in spring of last year, the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which every human resource manager takes note of, issued mm -hmm. a, um, a statement regarding the fact that domestic violence victims could be the new class of uh, employment discrimination victims and companies should start managing, taking into account that fact. Because if the victim gets terminated as a result of domestic violence issues, the company might not have been adhering to applicable federal law and state law. And in the case of where the victim and perpetrator work together, if the action is more severe towards the victim, then there could be employment discrimination issues since most victims are women. Mm -hmm. um, so when did this become uh, an issue for the workplace? I mean, it, it didn't used to be, you know, like 10 or 15 years ago, nobody ever heard about uh, work, work, domestic violence in the workplace as being an issue. Um, I would say between 5 and 10 years ago as we became, became more cognizant of violence in the workplace and bullying in the workplace. Yeah, yeah um, bullying in the workplace is, is really... Um, the, uh, there are two parts, points I'd like to make with respect to this. Uh, perpetrators okay. of domestic violence that spill over into the workplace are most likely men, but... Bullies in the workplace, a fair proportion of them, maybe a third, are women. So there is that difference. And, yeah. you know, right now uh, there um, are states enacting legislation that 
uh, are giving domestic violence victims in the workplace protection. Um, But, you know, I'm also monitoring the bullying legislation, and it's not happening as fast. (laughs) Um, Well, one of the the things... uh, you know, I worked for a, a number of years with uh, a bully, um, and I kind of came to the conclusion that she was she had some mental health issues. Do you see that a lot in bullying in the workplace? I mean, is this a think, some sort of pathological so. thing, or is it? Yeah, I, I think that there yeah. there are mental health issues. I should have mentioned that I am a, a licensed professional counselor in the state of Illinois. And so my perspective would be to look more closely at that than a typical uh, researcher researching this whose background is only a human resource management background. So I'm a, if you will, a behavioral scientist with a counseling license. Um, But uh, in the past year I've given a talk and uh, in a university at DePaul, and I became cognizant of the fact that there is a lot of bullying in academia. Even though what you have in academia, especially among faculty, is tenure. So the faculty who are tenured are protected from being terminated easily. So even though there might be applicable law, you have the tenure system coming into play. but um, mm-hmm. And I know my colleagues aren't going to like this statement too much, but there's a fair <laughs> proportion of people who are narcissists who are academics, and they would have a tendency to bully. Mm-hmm. But that's probably yeah. beyond the scope of what you wanted to talk about today. <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, that's... Probably a show in its own, the workplace bully. Because um, boy, when you're when you're working with one of those folks, it's miserable, just miserable. Yes, um, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. But that's a different no. issue from the domestic violence in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I sorry, but, I didn't mean to get off track on that. No, no, that's okay. Because I wanted to touch on that as well. Because um, really, you know, domestic violence is kind of like the ultimate form of bullying, um, and. Uh, when you mention the conflicting regulations that employees employers must operate under, it seems to me that it would be very, um, I don't know, very difficult for an employer. Let me jump in for a moment here and say that if you would like to call in, if you have an experience or a story that you'd like to share or a question you'd like to ask, Alan, our phone number is 646-378-0438. That's 646 646- Three seven eight zero four three zero, and we'd love to have you jump into our conversation. Helen, how serious is this issue uh, for the victim of workplace violence? I think it's very serious, in part because um, some people are ashamed to report that they're being victimized by what we call an intimate partner. And so if you're even a a low-level professional person, um, you don't want your colleagues and your supervisor to think you made a bad decision 
and for one thing, and sec- so you keep it hidden. And there are a fair number of uh, cases in which had the employer known about the um, bullying, they could have prevented the victim from being killed. But the victims seemed to be uh, uh, reluctant to admit to that because they were ashamed. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would, you know, I, I would hesitate because you don't want people to think that there's, you don't want people to know too much about your private business, especially when it's something as sensitive as domestic violence. What should a woman do if she's experiencing domestic violence? Um, I know that there's that story that went around a, a, a few months ago about the teacher. I think it was in California. She did everything she was supposed to do. Her husband was abusive. She got a protection order. She was a teacher at a private school, and her children went to the private school. And so she went to uh, HR or whatever they had to deal with those issues uh, at work at her school, and she ended up fired because the the school said that they couldn't place the other children at risk, and so she and her children were told they had to leave the school, um, and yeah. she lost her um, job. There are a number of cases like that, and um, and it you know it is a problem because. Most people would contend that domestic violence protection orders don't work. <laughs> they have minimal yeah. impact, in part because the person has, the perpetrator has mental issues. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm a fan of increased security in schools in general yeah. for a variety of mm-hmm. reasons. And uh, in the past year, no, two years ago, um, I was at a conference, and the counselors at Sandy Hook happened to be at the same conference. And I Uh had a discussion about that, and I said, you know, how do you feel about increased protection in the schools? And they contended that they didn't want to change the culture to the extent that they would have an armed security guard and metal detectors in the schools. So, you know, if they're not going to do that or they seem that it seems to be contrary to the culture, they're not adequately protecting the children and the employees. Yeah. So even after the violent incident, and they weren't at the school, but they were in that, they, they were at that town, they didn't seem to think that that was appropriate culture. And uh, in where I live, they have that same discussion about whether there should be um, armed security guards at the school. Is that the, a culture that's appropriate? Yeah. And, you know, um, Illinois is the last uh, state to have um, a, a law prohibiting concealed carry, and now it was overturned and we're going to have to um, allow concealed carry. And the response uh, of schools to this is they have a no guns sticker at the doorway. Okay. So if a person is intent on um, identifying the perpetrator in the workplace, that no guns sticker is not going to do much good. No, no, it's not. 
Um, well, and that kind of is the whole thing about about all of this issue. You know, it's uh, the protection order and all of that stuff. You know, if somebody's going to do something, they're going to do it no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and it's very difficult to, to it's me, very difficult to pre- prevent it. Well, my recommendation, and I've thought about this a long time, would be to have the woman, the victim, go to an employee assistance plan that would be provided by many employers now and have a caseworker assigned to the individual to figure out strategies for protection of the victim, not just in the workplace, but in the uh, other places in the community as well. And the thing about employee assistance plans is there's confidentiality. So you don't have to go to human resources where there might not be adequate confidentiality. You go to the third-party um, employee assistance well, plan. Well, that's you're talking big corporations there, uh, big business. What about, uh, you know, a lot of people just work for small businesses, you know, two, three, four people. Um, what would somebody do there? I mean, that they wouldn't have all these resources. Well, unfortunately, that's true. Um, there are some community resources, uh, but they're probably not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. You know, we are. You know, we've come a long way in a couple of years. But I recently heard the statistic in the whole city of Chicago that there are only 30 beds available for victims of domestic violence, 30 in the city of Chicago. So it becomes difficult to say, I'm going to not go back home. I'm going to go to shelter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in fact, you know, leaving is, is the most dangerous part of domestic violence for the woman. So if she is attempting to leave... Um, she's already put herself at tremendous risk. And if she goes to a workplace where the the, uh, perpetrator knows where she is, uh, that even ups the danger for her. So um, I was reading a a statistic, Helen, that said that 38% of coworkers of domestic violence victims were concerned about their own safety. So when we talk about revealing this, talking to some... Yeah, yeah. You you have that issue as well. You have pe- coworkers who may you know want wish you the best and want to help you, but they also are concerned about their own safety in a situation like that, which I think would make you know talking about this and revealing this even more risky um, than you know for the victim to disclose this. There well, are but certain. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, no, go ahead. The- I'm not saying reveal it to the coworker necessarily, but to go to the employee assistance plan. I've become a more of a fan of employee assistance plans in the past maybe two years because they have confidential kinds of resources. There are a couple of things an employer can do, though, um, and one thing is uh, flexible scheduling so that the victim is not at the same place every day at the same time every day. Wouldn't that make it, 
wouldn't that make it kind of hard for, I mean, you're hired usually for a job. Um, if the employer, you know, I, I'm, I'm really uh, going to play devil's advocate here. Why should the employee or employer be concerned? Why does this become the employer's problem? Um, well, for a variety of reasons. And one is um, companies that have uh, reputations for treating employees well have an advantage in recruitment and retention of good employees. So uh, that's one issue. The second issue is that if the company can deal with this, they'll have better productivity, not just from the uh, victim, but from the coworkers as well. And, yeah. you know, a third thing is there are many jobs that allow people to work online away from the workplace at all and um, entirely. And... Mm-hmm. Um, that might be an option. Uh, and there are people who work in the workplace that could, in fact, work entirely online. Um, well, and, and so that, fact, would uh, give, that would give more protection to the victim and to the coworkers, especially in the short run. But um, the productivity impact is staggering. In terms of lost productivity for a variety of reasons, including um, days of paid work that are lost. In my article, uh, the quotes it is 8 million, 8 million days. Um, the yeah. equivalent of more than 32 full time jobs. Um, no. Well, actually, I read that as 32,000 full time jobs. I'm sorry. I apologize. Thirty-two thousand <laughs> jobs. Yeah, and which is um, a lot more impactful. The average victim loses one hundred and thirty-seven work hours annually, which is equivalent to four weeks of work. Now, uh, some of that may be paid due to uh, paid sick leave, and some of that may be unpaid. Uh, but under a variety of different state requirements and the federal um, uh, the Family and Medical Leave Act. So, it's, you know, it's not all yeah. lost from the employer perspective. Well, but so just to review here, the workplace, the worker, the employer, uh, has a, a vested interest in helping with this issue because of uh, lost productivity, lost time, both uh, full days and uh, absenteeism and, and uh, late, you know, uh, 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 late attendance. And mm-hmm. there's also a turnover issue. I mean, if a woman has to quit her job over and over, you know, it's expensive for a worker or an employer to train a new worker. It costs a yes. lot. And if you're losing employees, uh, you know, that are good workers because of this issue, then I think it behooves you to uh, pay attention to it and try to resolve this. Um, so, anyway. Um, There's another cost I'd like to bring up, 
and that is sure. uh, cost of health insurance claims, okay? Not just yeah. the victim, but the children, because sometimes the children are battered as well. But yeah. uh, there's uh, mental health parity laws in many states, and so it may not just be it may not be the physical battering, but the emotional uh, battering that entitles that requires um, mental health coverage. Mm. So yeah, yeah and, and that emotional abuse is getting more and more um, coverage and, and attention at this point. I was just reading an mm-hmm. article that in England they're actually looking at legislation to include emotional or um, uh, uh, psychological abuse uh, under the law. Uh, to be uh, included under uh, other forms of domestic violence. And some people see that as kind of a danger, but, um, you know, it seems to me that this is, this is the emotional battering seems to be uh, affecting more uh, workers than the actual physical battering, I think. Uh, am I wrong in that? You know, you're probably right, but people would say, where are your statistics for that? And I don't think we have the <laughs> yeah. statistics for that. We have the phenomenon, no. but I'd be hard-pressed to say these are the statistics. There is another issue, and that is the issue of the perpetrator. Uh-huh. We tend to empathize with the victim, but the employer could be employing the perpetrator. And, you know, there's a loss to that employer if the perpetrator has to go to court or has to go to prison. So that employer loses as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we didn't talk about the. What are the obligations of an employer if he he or she employs the perpetrator? I mean, clearly there are obligations for the employer to uh, make provisions for the victim, but what about the perpetrator? Can you fire somebody for being a domestic violence perpetrator? Uh, probably. Um, I think state laws vary on that, but you have to be careful because someone being accused is not the same as someone being convicted. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've yeah, read quite a few cases where the perpetrator was uh, uh, accused and the facts were definitely there through police reports and everything, and they weren't convicted. And then it gets into an issue of um, you've defamed the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Not you, the employer, but the uh, victim. Yes. Well, and that happens a lot that the perpetrator, the accused, is not found guilty. Some, in the first place, only a portion of those are actually taken to court and prosecuted. And in the second yes, place, of those a very small proportion. And it yeah, a very small proportion of those. Yeah, a very small proportion of those who are said. prosecuted. Uh, yeah, are, are actually uh, found guilty. Um, and I don't know about your about uh, Illinois, but uh, I live in Washington State, and it seems to be again I don't have statistics in front of me, but it seems to be that an awful lot of men who are arrested for domestic violence 
get a deferred prosecution, which means that, okay, yeah, you did this, and what we're going to do, and we found you guilty, but what we're going to do is give you a deferred prosecution, which means if you attend these classes and if you don't get into trouble for a year, then we just remove it all from your record. And that happens a lot, you know, because how difficult is it for you to attend classes, you know. Um, So it's basically a slap on the hand, and there is no um, record uh, after that year that this person has ever been arrested for domestic violence. Um, And that record is cleared, and you can go out and purchase a handgun. mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Actually, was on the news. It wasn't. uh, It wasn't domestic violence, but was on the news yesterday. He had deferred prosecution, and he was able to buy a a handgun. I'm. You know, I'm. My next article that's coming out uh, uh, deals with the Second Amendment, and the complexity of the right to carry a firearm because there is a lot of undiagnosed mental illness and a lot of people that are going to use those guns to kill the victims and, you know, related coworkers. Well, some states have laws, uh, or maybe it's a federal law, that if you have a conviction of any kind for domestic violence, you cannot buy purchase a gun. But, of course, you know, we'd have to be pretty naive to think that all guns are purchased through legitimate means. Um, I don't know what the statistics are on that, but I suspect an awful lot of guns are purchased outside of the basic system. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's not a... It's not a, a purposeless law, but it, it can be easily um, gotten around. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes, it's, yeah. it's definitely the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the things that we were considering is if you buy a gun for someone... Okay, Helen, who, we're having a hard time hearing you. You want to turn back towards you your buy, phone? Okay, I haven't moved the phone. I haven't moved, actually. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. It sounded like you turned your head away a little bit. <laughs> no. Um, if you okay. buy, what we're what we're considering is if you buy a gun for someone who's not entitled legally to have a gun, and they use it in a mm-hmm. crime, you're um, guilty of the same crime. Which yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, there are a lot of laws that apply to employers and what they can do and what they can't do. Um, I was reading some some uh, uh, the, the basic laws that are um, that employers are held to uh, held to when they're dealing with an employee who has uh, been uh, abused or, or um, domestic violence victim. And it varies from state to state. Are there any national laws that apply here? For well, there is, first of all, we didn't mention uh, the general duty clause of OSHA. And an employer has a general duty to provide a workplace that's uh, safe. And um, 
while they haven't prosecuted too many employers on that, if they look the other way, um, the victim is going to have a cause of action into the future. That's something that's come up recently, the general duty clause. Although the general duty clause in itself is uh, from the 70s. And then there is a Family Medical Leave Act leave that entitles um, a worker, of basically a full-time worker, to 12 weeks of unpaid leave. But, you know, unpaid leave is difficult to have if you need an income. Yeah, um, exactly. But, you know, to me, I, I'm still, my thinking is still that uh, employee assistance plans are the way to go in this regard. And if the company doesn't have an employee assistance plan, the human, uh, the community resources might be uh, a direction. But I'm interested in watching what happens with respect to the new EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, directive that you need to treat domestic violence as a, an, an area of case of employment discrimination victims. So that, I mean, it's not the solution, but it, it helps. Yeah. Well, some states, I, I, I know a lot of states have enacted, <clears throat> excuse me, statutes of their own um, to help in this regard. Um, I think Washington and Illinois both have um, laws that pertain uh, specifically to domestic violence victims in the workplace um, as far as leave and, you know, those kinds of things. But pretty much it's every state for himself after when you um, go down from the OSHA requirements. Is that um, a fair statement? I, I want to point out a website, uh, www.womenslaw.com. Okay. W O M E N S L A W dot org, and that would allow a victim to see what state laws are applicable. And you know, usually when you have a, a website like that, you get the most up-to-date laws. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm yeah. a fan of that website. Um, yeah. Can I give a yeah. few other resources now, or? Sure, that would be terrific. Okay. That would be great. Um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Okay. Can I give the phone number? And I actually have that phone number here. Do you have the phone number? Yes. 1-800-799-7233. And what's great about that hotline is that they can uh, refer you to uh, a local resource to help you with your your issues, so um, which you is be hooked probably up with the right strategy. There. It's probably the strategy for uh, victims that work in small companies. Mm-hmm. Although some small companies do have employee assistance plans. It's great. Do they uh, coordinate with community sources, or you don't know? Yeah, it depends. Or, you have a case manager, yeah. and that's who does the referrals. And there are some resources. Yeah. Well, the general domestic violence resources are always good, like the hotline. Um, But uh, if you're 
having problems with your employer, where would you go? If your employer if your employer fires you and says we can't risk the other employees being hurt, do you have well, any recourse? That's, well, that's why I would recommend that womenslaw.org website. So you can, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's not overbearing in terms of the legal descriptions. You can see what protections you do have. The uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has offices, has regional offices as well. And so you could have a course of action if you're fired because you're the victim of domestic violence. Yeah. And some states but, do have statutes against that, prohibiting that. Um, yes. And again, I think your state and mine, Illinois and Washington, uh, do have those prohibitions. Um, mm-hmm. So otherwise, it just depends on the, um, on the on the state whether or not they can fire. Well, it's it's more and more all the time um, mm-hmm. that have state laws. Yeah. Well, there's also city uh, laws. Yeah. Um, that that uh, require employers to do certain things. I know, again, here in Seattle and Portland, I think Philadelphia, they all have city laws that require employers to uh, take responsibility for certain things. And so, you know, if you're doing research, you need to look not only at the, the OSHA, but you have to look at e- your individual state and even your individual city where the employment is located might have provisions for you. Um, Speaking as uh, a former employer in a small business, Helen, these things can be really pricey for the small employer. Um, Is it fair to ask a small employer to bear the burden of some of these costs? Well, it depends on what kind of costs you're talking about. One kind of cost is should you provide your employees with a safe workplace and to me, that seems like a no-brainer because yeah. you at the workplace are going to be subjected to the violence as well, possibly. Yeah. And the other thing is, do you provide health insurance? And I know that's a big, hot topic uh, right now. Yes. But if mm-hmm. you provide it, you're going to... Um, wind up increasing your health insurance costs. Or in those states where there's mental health parity, your um, insurance costs for that. Um, You know, and um, sometimes employers, uh, small employers are incredibly good to their employees and treat them incredibly well. So we shouldn't yeah. just say, oh, you're a small employer. You're not going to uh, treat your employees well. Mm-hmm. What about the Healthy Families Act, which is the federal um, uh, legislation? I'm less familiar with that. I I well, would prefer not to comment on that. Um, oh, okay. Well, just to follow up, the Healthy Families Act, um, they... Um, require employers of of a certain number of people um, to uh, provide uh, paid sick leave uh, per calendar year and employers 
the the um, uh, employers could employees could use that during domestic violence issues, and um, they also the Healthy Families Act also uh, talks about. Um, I don't think they've added it yet, but they're talking about adding a provision for emergency leave to address domestic violence, and uh, that hasn't passed yet for the Healthy Families Act, but um, mm-hmm. certainly the sick time ha- has. So, um, well, you I would have coverage of- under. The Family and Medical Leave Act leave. Yeah, yeah. Right now. And uh, and so there's some things there that are helpful to you. I think the problem uh, with uh, domestic violence situations, you know, women don't want to talk about it. They don't want um, to to tell their employers about this. They don't want to, um, they don't want people to know uh, about it. There's still that, that uh, sense of shame or... I don't know what it is, but you know, just the I, disapproval, social disapproval, or something um, that women feel when they have have experienced domestic violence, even though it crosses all economic and educational and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, it crosses all those lines, but there's still the sense of of shame I think associated with reporting domestic violence to your employer. Um, have you? Do you see any? Um, is there any validity to that statement? That you oh, absolutely. And, you know, the one problem is I don't see how someone who's a victim who has children can put her children at risk. Yeah. Because uh, quite often the children are abused as well. Well, and even if they're not and physically abused, all sorts of studies, all sorts of all sorts of studies show that there are a lifelong damaging effects for children who have witnessed domestic violence. Yes. Um, yes. So just, just being in that environment, creating lifelong problems for the children. Right. Um, the statistic so, is 30 to 60% of um, perpetrators of intimate partner violence also abuse their children. So it, yeah. at least it's a... And so as a mother, I don't understand how another mother could allow that to happen. Shame or no shame. And, you know, the other thing is they're afraid that if they report it, they'll lose their job. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the shame part of it. And, you know, people say, oh, it's a terrible job market. If I lose my job, I'm not going to be able to get another job. But I know that if people know how to look for another job, they can get another job in many instances. I know right now that there are 4 million unfilled jobs. Um, You know, a small town has a different context. But in the Chicago area, if someone loses their job because of domestic violence, they can get another job. And, you know, anyone that wants to call me about that into the future, I, it's not if I lose my job, I'm not going to get another job. But if I lose my life, who's going to care for my children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, would bother again, me more. you know, <laughs> the process of leaving can sometimes be more dangerous than the process of staying. 
uh, as a matter of fact, it, it is more dangerous than the process of staying. So a domestic violence victim always has to balance, is it better for the kids to stay here with this level of, of abuse, or if I leave, they could die. You know, so which is which is better? Uh, I don't think yeah. that, you know, when you were bringing up the point about how could a, a mother do that, I think it's more compl- co- um, uh, complicated than that. I think that mothers have to balance, okay, which will be harder or riskier or more dangerous for my children if I stay and try to manage this situation or if I go and he goes bananas and, you know, starts shooting. Um, and that's a very real consideration. Um, as we know, uh, if you just read the popular press, you see how many women are, and families, whole families, are, are killed by a perpetrator, and it's always when she got a protection order or when she filed for divorce or when, you know, there, there's, that is a very, very high-risk time period for a woman. Um, so I think it, you know, I, it, it's more complicated than just can I get another job, I think. Um, but that's but one woman, fear. I mean... You know, that's, yeah. that's one of the fears. I don't disagree at all with what you're saying. I think if you're okay. making the decision to leave, you leave in such a way that you're not, your location isn't identifiable in the short run. Anyway. Well, that certainly would be ideal. Um, that would certainly be ideal. Um, I, have, I know a woman, a victim, who uh, actually changed her identity legally, you know, was advised to change her identity by the courts. And so she went through the whole thing, got a new Social Security number, you know, got a new uh, name, a new residence, and then she had to keep coming back for child custody issues. He kept filing lawsuits, and so she had to go to another state every time he filed something to appear in court. And one day when she was in court, the judge said, you have to give him your address and contact information. And she said, no, I can't do that. And he said, well, if you can't give him the information, then you're not going to get the child support. And it was like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? I yeah. just spent, you know, a year and a half getting a new identity for safety reasons. And now the judge is telling me I have to give him this information? Um, I, I think, you know, wow, uh, you know, what what would the employer do under that situation? You know, I, it just, I don't know, it's so complicated. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it is very complicated indeed. Uh, yeah. And, you know, as I said, taking a large metropolitan area perspective is different than taking a smaller metropolitan area perspective on this. And I would have thought that that woman would have had an advocate with her when that judge made that decision. Well, actually, she did. Yeah, yeah. Some court did she appeal that? You know, some... Did she appeal that? Um, I don't know how she. Um, uh, she had actually had a lawyer with her um, who was telling her, "You don't have to do. You don't have to say that. You don't have to reveal that." And then the judge was saying, yes, you do, yes, you do. And I think what they ended up doing was readdressing the issue later, coming back to court later. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, it's just, it's, you know, the whole between a rock and a hard place situation. And so I and think the fear that a lot of women experience in reporting this to employers is definitely real. 
and certainly, as you were mentioning, that you know the um, the, the one option of having a, uh, a resource that employers could, or that employees could go to that's outside of the HR department. That sounds like the absolute best scenario for a woman in this situation. But um, you know, again, a lot of employers don't have that. The other part of this is employers have resources that individuals don't have. And in order to have access to the resources, you have to inform the employer. And, uh, you know, this is an analogous situation. If you're seeking accommodation for disability, the employer has to know that you need that accommodation. Then you can't, otherwise you can't go back to court and say, I didn't get an accommodation from the employer. And I was just looking at some uh, cases of individuals who are mentally ill. And, you know, the court ruled against, against the person who was mentally ill who didn't inform the employer. And the reason why the mentally ill person didn't inform the employer is that um, they were afraid of losing their job. But then when they needed the accommodation, the employer wasn't legally required to give it. Oh, really? Yeah, well, because the employer didn't know. You know, yeah. if I know yeah. you need to be safe in the workplace, and uh, there was a case where the woman was a cashier in a restaurant, and she didn't tell the employer that her husband made a threat against her. The employer could have put her working in a different room in the restaurant, but he didn't know. So then her estate couldn't go back and sue the employer. That's terrible. And there have been some pretty significant lawsuits over workplace safety issues. Yes, but unfortunately it's the estate that's suing. Because yeah. the indiv- yeah. the victim got killed, and um, oh. the other thing is um, retail establishments are getting to be less and less safe all the time. Yeah, yeah. And you know um, you need to have the uh, retail establishment open to the public, but there are more homicides um, in retail establishments as a percent than any other kind of location. So, you know... It's a very difficult topic, I think. Very difficult um, for people who are experiencing domestic violence and as well as, as the employers. I mean, just keeping up with all of these new rules, regulations, laws, Issues. I mean, you didn't hear about um, uh, workplace violence or violence in the workplace um, 30 years ago. I mean, it just nobody well, even talked about it. Well, not even 10 years ago. But um, there is a domestic violence in the workplace prevention week now in October. And there are many um, uh, organizations that have programs highlighting this problem. I can't remember exactly what week it is, but it's in the fall. So it's Domestic Violence Spillover Prevention Week. Well, that's good because, of course, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So it's good to tie it in there. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, the questions that I had when we started this discussion were, um, first of all, what obligation does an employer have? Um, what, you know, what uh, are the state laws and the, and the federal laws and the regulations that dictate those um, obligations? And now my question is, how do you make an employer comply? What if you're experiencing domestic violence, you go to HR and tell them, and um, they say they're going to do protections, they're going to add uh, extra security, et cetera, and they don't do it. Is there any place, any uh, regulatory organization that a woman can go to? Um, in Chicago, and I'm sure many other municipalities have it, there's a Human uh, Relations Commission. You could go there. And, you know, I think if you have an advocate and there, you know, in all fairness, there are a lot of organizations that provide advocates. If you have an advocate, uh -huh. go to your human resources and say, you know, this is going to happen. These are the laws that require you to make uh, your workplace safe. And, you know, uh -huh. it's better to be proactive in making it safe than reactive in having other employees experience problems as well. Yes. Well, and, and that again, would going be back to one, that 38% you know, of coworkers fear for their own safety, um, that, that's huge. 38% of coworkers. Yeah. That's why you need an advocate from a domestic violence abuse um, mm -hmm. association community organization yeah. and there are many yeah and well then you yeah. uh, would call the domestic violence uh, hotline number that we gave before and they would uh -huh. be able to connect you with someone yeah, yeah. in the community yeah and again that number is 1-800-799-7233 um, great resource no matter it's a wonderful place to start um, in your, your search. What if a woman um, doesn't know that this is going to happen? Say she and her husband have never experienced domestic violence, she's filed for divorce, and the next thing you know he showed up at her workplace and she didn't feel obliged to tell HR because there hadn't been any um, domestic violence before this. Do those regulations and laws for the employer still apply? You mentioned the case no. where a lawsuit yeah. So no, the they don't. Has to know. Well, how yeah. can you take action, specific action, yeah. if you don't know? I think that employers should take action to provide the safest workplace possible. Yeah. No matter what. And right, because it could be a stranger. I mean, we're only mm -hmm. talking about people known to employees, but it could be a stranger. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. you would want to provide employees with the safest workplace possible. And, you know, the issue that is problematic is the retailer. Um, yeah. But I used to hmm. consult for banks, and we had this problem all the time. How do you protect your workers if there's going to be a bank robbery? And so workers got trained about what to do if their 
endangered by a perpetrator, known to them or not. So employers can do some training. How much, just in your opinion, how much of a priority do businesses make this issue of safety? Is it a huge? They're making it more and more all the time. More and more all the time. Yeah. So, you know, as, and does that have a, a, a cultural connection? Uh, you know, because it seems like our culture is getting more and more dangerous. Uh, is it the same thing in the workplace, becoming more dangerous no matter where you work? Uh, probably. Probably, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I think we always knowledge about it helps solve the problem or at least ameliorates the problem. So, for example, you can have security locks. You can be cautious about who you're letting into your premises if you're not a a retailer. If you're an office, you shouldn't have the door open to anyone. So basically, and for the record, the post office is not the most dangerous type of workplace. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that yes. up because people always think of the term going postal as the post office yes. is the most dangerous, and that isn't true. No, no, it's not. What is the most dangerous field? Retailers. Oh, and, you yeah, know, because there's so many, you know, there's, there's no filter there's, on who goes right? into your business. And you don't want yeah. to because you want to have customers. Sure, sure. So do retailers, are they training employees on uh, violent situations, what to do? I haven't seen an increase in that, but I think in, based on a few recent events in the past, we're going to see more of that. And, you know, they have the possibility of detecting a gun because of the um, security that they use to protect the merchandise. So yeah. you walk well, through obviously, a screen. It's a very uh, complicated issue. Yeah, it's a very complicated issue. And, um, you know, if you're interested in uh, Helen's research, as she mentioned at the beginning, you can uh, locate, uh, actually you can locate it online under um, Google Scholar. And again, the name of the article is The Impact of Domestic Violence in the Workplace by Helen Levan and others. And it is in um, the publication Employment Relations Today. It came out in 2012. So that shares a lot of information. Helen, I always close our show with a a, a quote, or at least I try to. And one that I found for today is, much violence is based on the illusion that life is a property to be defended and not to be shared. And I think that kind of sums up the domestic violence perpetrator, seeing Mm -hmm. that uh, victim's life as a property not to be shared with anyone else. Hmm. Thank you, Helen, for joining us. Uh, I've learned a lot today. Mm -hmm. Which is, You're welcome. which is uh, important for me, for my dissertation. Um, and I also appreciate all of the background information that you gave. Helen, thank you so much for being mm-hmm. with us. Listeners, uh-huh. thank, thank you. you for being mm-hmm. with us. And we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.